Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. The truth is the most convincing story that maps onto reality, and that's why the central narrative is falling apart. Right now in the United States, people should not be walking around with masks. must see the central narrative. That it is. We are Americans. While elections are sometimes messy, this was a secure election. The founders began the fight for human liberty and self-governance, and it's up to us to finish the job. I tell you what, we are in a truth emergency right now. This is the end game. It's Tuesday, June 21st, 2022, the 517th day of dystopia. I'm your moderator, Chris Paul. Let's be reasonable. A very warm welcome and hello to all of you who are listening on Tuesday, June 21st, or maybe even on the morning of Wednesday, June 22nd. Because that means that you are a paid subscriber to the Substack. I'm your moderator.substack.com. That is the exclusive way to get the podcast on its day of release. You can sign up for a paid subscription on Substack for as little as $5 a month or $50 a year, which is even less than $5 a month. It comes out to about 20 cents, 25 cents per episode. Plus, you get the writing whenever it comes out. And you will be critical in supporting the work that I am doing. So if you appreciate it, that's how you keep it going. So let's get started. And I want to start with morning Mika hat tip to Steve Bannon in the war room. They always clip so many uh, morning Joe segments that are 
worth making fun of if absolutely nothing else. But I want to go a little past making fun of this. And I want to talk about something slightly different than what the war room focused on. Mika and Joe were having a meltdown about an Eric Greitens commercial where he and a small tactical unit are breaching a house. They are hunting for rhinos. And as you can imagine, the entire mainstream media is freaking out. How could he put guns in a commercial? Here's the ad. I'm Eric Greitens, Navy SEAL. And today we're going rhino hunting. The rhino feeds on corruption and is marked by the stripes of cowardice. Join the MAGA crew, get a rhino hunting permit. There's no bagging limit, no tagging limit, and it doesn't expire until we save our country. So that's it. You didn't get the video, but Eric Greitens for Senate. Eric Greitens is running for Senate in Missouri. He used to be the governor there. He is a military man, and he is mocking the totally pretend freak out over guns that the entire mainstream is having right now in the wake of this Uvalde shooting, the details of which have become murkier and murkier as time goes on. But what you're never allowed to do is make fun of the left or throw what they're doing right back in their faces while they're very emotional about it. That's when they get the most upset. When they are at their highest emotional level, you should assume that the greatest possible freakout will come from disagreeing with them about anything. And he went directly at it. Now, I don't think this is a great political ad in itself. This isn't the sort of ad that makes you want to go out and vote for Eric Greitens, except as a fun way to mock and troll liberals. And that project, as far as I am concerned, is largely not worth it. But it is effective on a couple of different levels. And one of them is obviously the reach of this ad because it is, quote unquote, controversial it's going to get played over and over and over and over and over and over and over again, which for Eric Greitens is good in a sense. People are generally sick of the moral preening of the left. So it's possible that the leftist freakout will show everyone once again how irrational these people are and how unfocused they are on any set of shared American priorities. But I think it's real effectiveness might lie somewhere else. And that's that the narrative about how anti-Republican establishment MAGA is can really make some headway. Because this Greitens commercial is making it very, very clear that this is not about Republican and Democrat. Eric Greitens is breaking out of that traditional paradigm. And that's the paradigm the media constantly pushes. Anyone who is attached to the central narrative, anyone in the mainstream, certainly anyone who is not MAGA by now, is almost definitely still stuck in the Democrat-Republican paradigm, which makes no sense whatsoever in this current political reality. There is the Uniparty, there is MAGA, an America first, 
and the truth community who, you know, a lot of them have not embraced Donald Trump. That's kind of the last step of waking up. I mean, at least until we get into some, you know, really weird extraterrestrial or spiritual stuff that may well still be coming at us. But for right now, the mark of whether or not you're fully awake is that you understand what Donald Trump represents. And once you understand what Donald Trump represents, you really don't need to like the things he says or the ways you think he treats people with his tweets. Once you understand what Donald Trump is and what he represents and what he's doing, all of that other stuff makes sense within a different context. And once you are separated from that mainstream context, from the central narrative context, it's a lot easier to see that Donald Trump is actually the only person that could have gotten all of this this far and could have withstood everything he dealt with. There was an attempt to derail his campaign by using the resources of our federal law enforcement and intel agencies at the behest of a campaign of a former first lady with more political connections and more corrupt political connections than basically anyone in the world. It happened with the knowledge of then President Barack Hussein Obama and then Vice President Joe Biden. And all of that was before his election. Once he was elected, they kept on going. They kept spying on the executive office of the president while he was in the White House. They had the Mueller investigation. They had the nonsense Ukraine impeachment over something Joe Biden and other corrupt Democrats were actually doing. Then we had covid. Then we had election fraud. And then we had the very violent insurrection and the big lie and all of their other nonsense. To know that Donald Trump still had a successful presidency through all of that and is still more popular than Joe Biden and is still 90 plus percent approval in the Republican Party, still the most powerful politician on the planet, while, quote unquote, not in office. It's insane to question whether or not Donald Trump is competent and in control, and able to command situations. He made the country stronger than it's been in decades and did it while there were multiple soft coups happening at the same time. People were literally committing treason to take Donald Trump out of power, and he withstood all of it. But nonetheless, people are conditioned to hang on to their membership in the party of false decorum, and they continue to do that. They will be fully on board with what the truth movement has discovered about COVID and vaccines and immigration and inflation and everything else that the media has been lying about, but they just can't get past the Donald Trump thing. Well, I would suggest unless you are MAGA, America first and ultra MAGA, you have not fully woken up yet. You have not understood Donald Trump in a much bigger picture. And within that much bigger picture, you are looking at a man who was under constant attack for now seven plus years and still became one of the greatest presidents, if not the greatest president that this country has ever seen. And he still has time to get that whole greatest president title down pat. If he sticks the landing on this whole thing, 
greatest president ever, period. No question about it. No one will ever question it. He will just get his own Mount Rushmore and all of the whiny communists are just going to have to deal with it. So on one side, we have the Uniparty. We have people aligned with the global communist agenda. It doesn't matter if their primary concern is getting rid of plastic straws or welcoming their technocratic AI overlords. They are all either actively or tacitly or ignorantly supporting the global communist agenda. On the other side of that is America first, people in the truth movement, etc. Americans who feel totally displaced because they're just finding out that everything they were ever taught was wrong. And they're like, wait a second, I don't have to turn to that guy that I've said I hated for the last five years, do I? I don't have to turn to that guy whose supporters I called terrorists, do I? Well, hey, Kami, I'm sorry to break it to you, but yes, you do. And regardless, you immediately have to leave that Republican and Democrat paradigm behind. And that, I think, is the effectiveness of this Eric Greitens commercial. And people will try to play it off like everybody's just mad at Liz Cheney and Adam Kinzinger and Mitch McConnell and Mitt Romney and guys like that. It's not that. It's the entire Republican establishment. And to go this aggressively after, quote unquote, fellow Republicans is pretty shocking for normal people. So Morning Joe and Morning Mika are not going to want to cover Eric Greitens throwing the gun thing right back in their face. And they're certainly not going to want to cover the fact that a Republican is calling out other Republicans. Normally, they would love that because normally they are always begging for establishment Republicans and ones who are, you know, on the edge of the establishment to be calling out Trump and calling out MAGA. Why aren't they calling this out? Republicans really need to call this out. If they don't call this out, something's going to get worse. We're going to stage more mass shootings. Oh, we're just going to let crime run rampant in our cities even more than we already are. It's so ridiculous. It is always some moral plea that if they don't immediately agree with Morning Joe and Morning Mika very, very publicly, oh, well, then they're the worst people on earth. So, of course, this commercial makes them very, very upset. And how do they deal with things when they're upset? Well, the first answer is not well, but let's hear specifically from them. They just don't. So, again, I just want to underline again that we're talking about the rise of American fascism. You can look at January 6th. You can look at ads like this. You can look at the continued use of violence and imagery. You can look at Donald Trump telling his audience members to beat people up in the audience that disagree with him. It's fascism. And, and this is why, unfortunately, this is the only thing that needs to matter when you're, you're casting your vote, which is very hard to say because this country has a lot of problems and we have a lot of growing pains we still need to go through. We have a lot of issues which we've fallen back on. But right now, this is the issue to vote on. And even Hillary Clinton made that clear. It's either we move forward toward continuing a democracy or we fall into something very dark and very frightening and very real. It's not an exaggeration at this point, especially when you look at how this is pervading our politics from the bottom up, 
all started pretty much by Donald Trump. There yeah. are a lot of other reasons from past presidencies that we got here. We can have that conversation. We can make all that blame. But this is where we are. This is what matters between. It's not Democrat, Republican. No. In terms of voting. No, no, it's it's not. And it's not. It, it is it's democracy. It, it's or, a growing wing inside the Republican Party. And it really, again, we can debate abortion. We can debate guns. We can debate and we interest rates. We can debate uh, Gas quanti quantitative easing. We can debate a thousand different issues. But for a growing wing of the Republican Party, it's it's just straight out uh, pro-democracy versus anti-democracy. And you look, whether it's Vladimir Putin, whether it's Orban, you, 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 or, or whether it's just fascism, please go on your Google machine and look up the definition of fascism. And, and whether it was in Germany, whether it's in Italy, wherever it is, it is the pushing aside of democratic norms. Uh, the use of violence to do that, the use of violent imagery to do that, the glorification of violence to, to, to achieve whatever means necessary, use whatever means necessary to achieve total control and push aside uh, democracy. And it's happened over and over again. Now, that is some grade A morning Joe right there. And just as a side note, there was a moment in the middle of that where Mika and Joe agreed that this is not just Republican and Democrat anymore. It's not about whether you're a Republican or a Democrat. They're not recognizing that that paradigm no longer exists and that talking about things that way is totally obsolete. They're saying that they don't care which party you identify with. There is only one choice you are allowed to make or they're going to call you a bunch of names. In this case, fascist. You have to agree with them that this is the most dangerous political ad that ever existed or else you're a fascist and you're not supposed to think about while agreeing with them. You're not supposed to think about how these are the very same people who told the entire country for seven months that what you were watching on TV as American cities burnt down and stores were looted and mob violence was happening everywhere that what you were witnessing was mostly peaceful protests. So they're not recognizing the end of that paradigm. They are saying that they don't care who you are. You have to side with them. And Joe Scarborough said it explicitly there at the end. Oh, we can, we can debate about quantitative easing, but we can't debate about whether or not you're a fascist if you don't call this commercial terrible. There's just no debate to be had. It's amazing that Eric Greitens even has the gumption to say the word gun, much less put guns in his commercial. How could he when there are 19 dead children? Maybe. Now, as a favor to Joe, I, I did go ahead and fire up the old Google machine. Gosh, it's so cute and clever when he says it like that. <laughs> the Google definition of fascism is a political system headed by a dictator in which the government controls business and labor and opposition is not permitted. So unless Joe Scarborough is some sort of undercover white hat in this whole operation, he should probably reconsider confusing his child brained audience 
by looking up the definitions of the words that they use, because this definition of fascism has absolutely nothing to do with what Joe and Mika are calling fascism. They are calling it fascism that a Senate candidate has guns in his ad and talked about hunting rhinos. And of course, this is such a big deal for them because in their completely upside down, false reality, bizarro world, Republicans are the ones who use political violence. And outside of the central narrative as presented, as handed down to us by the news, there really isn't a presence of Republican political violence in our culture anywhere. That is entirely the provenance of the left. And again, I mentioned the episode yesterday, but a couple of weeks ago, uh, Wednesday, June 8th, I believe, I talked about the history of left-wing violence and left-wing domestic terrorism and how Chesa Boudin and other George Soros district attorneys are direct descendants of those political philosophies and political movements. But the most interesting part of that clip is where Mika tries to narrow down the range of issues upon which Americans are acceptably morally allowed to vote for the candidate of their choice. Now that she's called it fascism, no one can vote against Democrats without being a fascist. Sure, the country has been absolutely destroyed by the Democrat Communist Party with some help from communist Republicans, all uniting in the uniparty to support the global communist agenda. But none of that matters now because Eric Greitens has guns in a commercial and is talking about hunting rhinos, which is inherently violent. And all of Trump's supporters will take that as a cue to go out into public and begin shooting their political opponents. Now, that isn't going to happen, and there's no chance of that happening, but they're going to give us a pretext in case they decide to stage an event like that, which will, of course, fail. But this is essentially the only campaign tactic they have now. They can't win on any issue, so they want to stop talking about issues altogether. The only issue that matters to them is that the other side, no matter what they believe, are hateful, stupid, violent people who should never be listened to, never be taken seriously. It doesn't matter if you know the content of their beliefs at all or what they actually stand for or the society that they actually want. It only matters that the child-brained audience of Morning Joe understands the other side, no matter who they are, are evil. And it must be true because even Hillary Clinton says so. Now, let's switch subjects completely because I have not spent much time in the last month or so talking about anything COVID-related or vaccine-related or pharma-related. And I want to spend some time on those subjects today. There was a really well-done piece today in The Gateway Pundit by Julian Conradson. And this is the headline. Bombshell Oxford study. Less than 6% of approved medical drugs are backed by high-quality evidence to support their benefits. Harms are significantly underreported across the board. According to a newly released study by the University of Oxford, 
a jaw dropping 94% of recently approved medications are not supported by high quality evidence that demonstrates their benefits. What's more, just like with the experimental COVID-19 vaccines, side effects and adverse reactions to these drugs are being severely underreported across the board. When looking at medical drugs that have been approved since 2008 under the Cochrane Reviews, a quote-unquote leading international journal and database that is endorsed by over 100 organizations worldwide, including the U.S. Food and Drug Administration, researchers determined that just 87 Of the 1,567 medications, 6% had clinical data that met the quote unquote high quality standard from the Oxford study of 1,567 eligible interventions, 87, 5.6% had high quality evidence on first listed primary outcomes, positive, statistically significant results and were rated by review authors as beneficial under 6% have high quality evidence of efficacy. Unbelievably, the majority of these drugs could not even pass the moderate quality review with over 50% failing to meet the reduced threshold. And yet consumers have access to these drugs, which are causing unknown and underreported side effects something that should amount to medical malpractice at the least. That is, if we lived in a sane, well-functioning society. One of the study's authors, Dr. Jeremy Howick, certainly thinks so. Writing about the findings, Dr. Howick deemed the issue worrisome and stressed that, with this happening, informed choice about medical treatments is essentially impossible. Howick says, It is particularly worrying that the harms of healthcare interventions are rarely quantified. For a doctor or patient to decide whether to use a treatment, they need to know whether the benefits outweigh the harms. If the harms are inadequately measured, an informed choice is not possible. Potential harms should be measured with the same rigor as potential benefits. The evidence-based medicine community is correct to continue calling for higher quality research and also justified in their skepticism that high quality evidence for medical treatments is common or even improving. And that's the end of the Howick quote. It's bad enough that these treatments were approved while lacking evidence showing they work, but these experimental drugs are also causing an untold amount of additional damage with over one third being linked to adverse reactions that are being underreported. Nearly 10% of the approved medications were found to have quote, significant evidence of harm from the study. Harms were measured for 577. That's 36.8% of interventions, 127 of which, 8.1%, had statistically significant evidence of harm. In the end, researchers simply concluded that most healthcare interventions studied within recent Cochrane reviews are not supported by high quality evidence and harms are underreported. The Oxford study closely mirrors another recently published study out of the U.S. that also found issues with medications being fast-tracked for public use without the proper supporting evidence. Published in the Journal of the American Medical Association, the U.S. researchers found that the FDA had systematically relaxed its once rigorous process to approve new drug treatments beginning in the 1980s, coincidentally right around the time Fauci entered the picture. Between 1983 and 2018, 
As the number of new drug applications and approvals increased, the review period decreased. According to researchers, this happened because the FDA was and still is cutting corners on the clinical work to support these drugs safety and effectiveness. The study concluded that the agency, quote, increasingly accepted less data and more surrogate measures, end quote, when approving new medications. When you consider the fact that medication release prices are an astonishing 85 times higher than they were in 2008, thanks Obamacare, let alone the absolute horrors of the experimental vaccine, which was just approved for babies and toddlers, this is beyond criminal. The last thing our so-called public health experts are concerned about is saving lives. And unfortunately, he's exactly right about that. People don't realize that medical malpractice is the third highest cause of death in the United States. Medical malpractice. And that has only risen since the beginning of COVID, or at least it will when all of this is examined retroactively. Because as I've said many times, every COVID death, or at least pretty much every COVID death, let's just say that to be safe so that the accuracy people, the fact guys don't get too upset. Nearly every COVID death is either data malpractice or medical malpractice or both. And that's what we get with COVID tests that don't work. And incentives to label COVID where COVID is not part of the cause of death. And without legitimate testing, how could you possibly know? And then the medical malpractice comes in when you consider what the prescribed protocol was. Put people on remdesivir until that causes renal failure. Put them on a ventilator. 90% at that point will die. So we inflate the COVID statistics with data manipulation and faulty tests and having healthy people tested on faulty tests at an extraordinarily high rate using the tests at a cycle threshold that is almost guaranteed to return false positives, 90 plus percent false positive rate. So you've got a bunch of fake COVID cases and then you give those COVID cases when they occur in the hospital, the hospital protocol, which is almost certain to kill whoever is put on it. So we have data malpractice and medical malpractice, and there are your COVID deaths. Many of those COVID deaths were actually from other causes, many of those caused by COVID mitigations. So the medical malpractice statistics, when all of this is actually reviewed by honest people in the future, well, they are going to skyrocket. And understanding the malfeasance involved in that from our university system to the public health research system to our public health experts and administrators to the doctors and to the pharma companies. All of them have combined to create this problem. And it is not good enough anymore for people to be like, are you saying that doctors first priorities is not saving human lives? Yeah, that's exactly what I'm saying. And it happens to be true. There is no profession that only accepts morally sound people. And as the cultural morality degrades, the number of morally sound people decreases with that because the culture becomes permissive of immorality. We know that the pharmaceutical companies have sales teams, almost all comprised of relatively young and attractive women, 
who go out and court doctors and entertain doctors and get those doctors to prescribe patients new drugs from the pharma companies. Should we just assume that all of those doctors are primarily concerned with patient health and not with getting paid more to charge the insurance companies who will then pay the pharmaceutical companies for drugs the patients not only don't need, but may well be harming them? I certainly would not assume that. And Steve Kirsch has a great piece out this week on his Substack. The headline is, the CDC says severe reactions to the COVID vaccines are rare. That's not what we found. Now, this is a long article, so I'm going to hit the executive summary at the beginning and then the conclusions at the end. But it is worth checking out. It's at Steve Kirsch, K-I-R-S-C-H dot Substack dot com. The CDC has always maintained that severe reactions to the COVID vaccines are rare. Since I officially became a misinformation spreader over a year ago, I've never believed that statement because I couldn't find any reliable data that confirmed it. And that goes hand in hand with the article we just went over. The drug companies do not actually have evidence that their drugs are effective or safe. And this used to be something that mainstream and leftist Americans used to fully agree with. Bernie Sanders used to go off about big business and the pharmaceutical companies all the time. What happened to all that? Oh, well, they just began trusting the pharma companies because COVID was so very deadly and so very scary. And there was always a very scary variant just over the horizon. And of course, the anti-vaxxers and the Trumpers, they were against the vaccine. So because they're always wrong, because they're stupid and evil and violent, now the leftists have to be for the pharmaceutical companies, for the vaccines, because they would never want to align in any of their beliefs with the no-no people, because then the person who does their hair might call them a QAnon. But back to Steve Kirsch. On June 20th, 2022, VSRF engaged the services of a professional polling company, Polefish to survey 500 people who were selected entirely at random. The implications of what we found in that poll were shocking. At least 2 million Americans over 18 were injured by the COVID vaccine, such that they are unable to hold a job. The U.S. government has never done any research to determine the extent of the injuries caused by the COVID vaccines. Now we know why. The results of our poll were consistent with an earlier vaccine injury survey by the Israeli government and with the VAERS data, which has been, quote unquote, lit up since January 2021, telling us, quote, the COVID vaccines are the most unsafe vaccines in human history. And that seems like a pretty obviously true claim, but I wonder what we might find out in the future about prior vaccines that we were lied to about. But beyond that caveat, his claim is certainly true as it stands now. Now we have independent confirmation that the safety signals in VAERS were accurate, just like we've always said. The numbers in this poll are absolutely shocking, and there is no way to spin this as a positive. This article includes the full poll fish survey reports and individual response data so that anyone can analyze it themselves. Key results from the poll. The poll was about the COVID vaccine exclusively, not about other vaccines. 
stratified responses are age normalized to the U.S. since the respondents who answered didn't match the overall U.S. demographics. The key results include only 34% of the American public is buying the bullshit and taking the vax. This is why Dr. Peter Marks is so desperate to convince people to take the jab. They must have a lot of inventory they are trying to get rid of by injecting it into you. And it's worth adding into your children. Dr. Marks will do anything except debate our team of experts, which now includes Dr. Claire Craig and Professor Norman Fenton, both of the heart group. Greater than 1% of vaccinated respondents reported they were so severely vaccine injured that they cannot hold a job. Over 1% reported that they believe their injuries have shortened their lifespan. Since there are 258 million people over 18 in the U.S. and 77.3% of the population has had at least one jab, and I should add that's if we trust the statistics, which I personally do not at all. I don't find any reason why we should. But let's go with this statistics because that's what we have to work from right now. This is roughly 200 million jabbed Americans over 18. This means that roughly 2 million Americans have been severely injured. 14% of the people surveyed said they were vaccine injured. This implies an estimate of over 25 million Americans with a vaccine injury that required a doctor or hospital visit. 25 million Americans. That's just slightly over half the actual number of people who voted for Joe Biden in 2020. 25 million Americans with vaccine injuries is a staggering number. Since only 77% are vaccinated, a 14% overall rate of vaccine injury is an 18% rate of injury if you were vaccinated. 200 million people, 18 and over, who are vaccinated equals 36 million vaccine injured people. And hopefully that's not too confusing. The initial figure was overall Americans. And the second number is the proportion of vaccinated Americans. 23% of households have a vaccine injured person. 33% of the extended families have a vaccine injured person. In 80% of the cases where there was a vaccine injury, there was either a doctor visit or hospital stay or both. Nearly 50% of the injured are still impacted today. And so let's jump down toward the end. Why didn't our government warn us of all this? At the very least, our government should have warned us with something like, hey, the Pfizer trial showed we can save one life in 22,000 from dying from COVID. So to save 10,000 lives from a COVID death, we're going to disable 1.8 million of you and kill over 200,000 of you. That's just the way it goes. Those are the statistics. For every life saved by the vaccine, excepting by their statistical manipulations, and I'm talking about the people recording the statistics, not Steve Kirsch as he analyzes them that the vaccine has actually saved any lives, it has ended lives at 20 times the rate. The COVID vaccines are the most dangerous vaccines in human history. There are systemic flaws in the medical system that cause doctors to fail to recognize the evidence in plain sight. But that doesn't change the reality. The COVID vaccines have killed hundreds of thousands of people and severely injured millions more. Since there is a safe, inexpensive alternative, early treatment protocols, 
with near 100% efficacy in reducing hospitalization and death, the vaccine should be immediately halted for all age groups. That would be the right thing to do. But admitting they made a mistake would be an embarrassment to the medical community, government agencies, and Congress. So they will continue to look the other way and find ways to discredit the evidence and the brave people who are speaking out. They will continue to avoid any accountability by agreeing to an open debate. And in the meantime, millions more will be disabled and hundreds of thousands will die prematurely. And I just want to pause for a second because it's true that people will still be injured and still be killed by these vaccines because they will not stop taking them. These people who claim to represent the science and respect the science and trust the science don't care at all about what the actual statistics of vaccine injury and vaccine death actually are. And they also don't care about the risk calculation on the other side, that COVID doesn't kill anyone, especially at this point. It has never killed children. It has never killed young people. And adults through middle age are entirely unharmed by it. Yes, it might be an uncomfortable illness. It might last longer than your average cold. But when are you going to stop listening to the people who told you that masks would work? When are you going to stop listening to the people that said lockdown for two weeks was a way to end the pandemic? And when are you going to stop listening to the people who are selling you drugs for massive profits by exploiting your fear? And you know that they don't have proof that their drugs work or work effectively or safely 94% of the time. But people will just keep taking them because they cannot let go. They have too much of themselves and their moral identity invested in the slogans they've been repeating for the last two plus years now. Doctors and nurses know what is going on, but will not speak out as a group because they will lose their jobs and ability to practice medicine. So they keep their heads down. And what are we to make of doctors and nurses who prioritize retaining their jobs above whether or not they are actually killing people? We are watching some of the most respected and honored positions in our country just completely collapse under the weight of their own corruption. The doctors are so blue-pilled, they actually still believe the CDC. When Pfizer presents safety and efficacy data that is appalling to anyone with a working brain, they simply look at the vote count of the outside committees, unanimously approved, and never bother to learn more about what just happened. They won't even watch this four-minute video that explains just how bad the trial data was. And of course, the video is linked in the substack. And you have to wonder if they believe that they will not have any liability or accountability because the regulatory agencies gave them the go-ahead, so now it's not their fault. When we discovered that there wasn't a single death from COVID-19 in the entire state of Massachusetts in both 2020 and 2021 in age 5 to 11, did that change anything? Of course not. COVID is an emergency because it might kill kids in the future, and you can never be too careful when it comes to saving kids' lives. But when large numbers of kids are killed by the vaccine, we simply look the other way. That's not an emergency. It doesn't even exist. Their odd causes of death are ignored. My survey can easily be replicated at low cost. Over 2 million Americans are so seriously injured they cannot hold a job. It's not something you joke about. 
The sad thing is that my survey won't change any minds, even if it is replicated over and over. It will just add more evidence to the public record that the medical community is causing great harm and completely incapable of seeing the truth. They will not allow themselves to be held accountable in an open discussion ever. The American people won't change their minds until doctors change their minds. And the doctors are so well trained to respect the medical authorities like the FDA, CDC and NIH and or sufficiently afraid of the repercussions of speaking out that nothing will change anytime soon. The truth always comes out sooner or later. The later it comes out, the greater the damage will be to all these institutions that people once trusted. The other thing I know is that the scale of this deception is unprecedented. When this unravels, which I have no doubt that it will, it will destroy our trust in, and he lists them, the medical community, the HHS government agencies, CDC, FDA, NIH, the mainstream media, Congress, state and local government officials, CEOs who imposed vaccine mandates, local health officials, mainstream social networks, fact checkers, the Gates Foundation, Bill Gates, the Rockefeller Foundation, the drug companies, medical boards, clinical trials, medical journals, and more. This survey is just one more nail in the coffin of the safe and effective narrative, nothing more. And that really hammers home the point. Those are the institutions at risk of collapse just from the vaccines. And there are so many other issues. We are in the midst of a full-scale institutional collapse on all levels. Everybody in positions of power more or less in this society needs to be replaced and fast. And I posted this tweet yesterday. It was actually from a couple of weeks ago from a person I'm unfamiliar with on Twitter named AJK writer, but she wrote what struck me most in what is a woman was the claim that every person who transitions represents $1.3 million in profit for big pharma over their lifetime via incessant hormones treatments, and surgeries. It takes a lot of the mystery out of how we got here and who really benefits. And that was something that I have simply never thought of. The massive windfall for the pharma companies by capturing these customers when they are three and four and five and six years old, and then changing them in such a way, whether through hormone treatments or drug therapies or actual surgery, changing them in a way they can never come back from, at least not fully. They are making these people customers for life with no choice about the matter whatsoever. And when we're talking about the kids, these are really choices that their parents are making for them because young children don't have a sexual identity. They don't understand gender. They're not considering any of the relevant factors that might make a difference later in their life. They're going along with what they are being told by their parents and their schools because they're kids and they can't really say no. And if they do say no, the parents and this current educational system are telling them that they're just scared. They know it's hard and traumatic to realize that you were born in the wrong body, but you know what? We're going to make it all better by changing you forever. And each and every time they successfully do that, the pharma companies get $1.3 million from each and every one of them. And our culture pretends that the issue is all about bigotry. No, it isn't. I personally, I can only speak for myself, but I think that 
my position is shared by a large part of our movement, our viewpoint, our side of things. I don't care how other people want to live their lives. If they want to change their bodies and pretend that they are the other sex, go right ahead. They should have the freedom to do that. But I don't need to pretend things about them and I don't need to applaud their decision. I can be neutral on their decision. It's also okay if I disapprove of their decision as long as I still allow them to make the decision for themselves. That is what tolerance is. Tolerance does not require us actually encouraging this thing. And it doesn't require us ignoring the fact that there are incentives for some of the most powerful institutions in the world to actually push this on our culture and on our children. We can empathize with people who are struggling and feeling like they don't know who they are. But it's worth noting that that feeling in people has always existed. And we didn't use to solve that by trying to convince small children that they are actually the other sex. And we have this notion that somehow a person decides to transition and they get on drugs, they get on hormones, and maybe they have surgery. At some point, that process is just over, and now they're the other sex. And everything's fine, and they have fixed this massive problem in their lives. They were unhappy about being born in the wrong body, so they made this change. Now everything's perfect. You were a man, now you're a woman. But that's not really how it goes, and it's certainly not how it goes for kids. And we never actually get to hear how it really goes. There was an incredible Twitter thread last week from someone who had transitioned and actually detailed all this. And some of this is a little gruesome. The whole thing is pretty devastating, but I think it's worth communicating here. And this is from a user on Twitter that goes by Tulip with two L's, Tulip R. Okay. I want to tell everyone what they took from us, what irreversible really means and what that reality looks like for us. No one told me any of what I'm going to tell you now. I have no sensation in my crotch region at all. You could stab me with a knife and I wouldn't know. The entire area is numb, like it's shell-shocked and unable to comprehend what happened, even four years on. No one told me that the base area of your penis is left. It can't be removed, meaning you're left with a literal stump inside that twitches. When you take testosterone and your libido returns, you wake up with morning wood without the tree. I wish this was a joke. And there is a deleted tweet just immediately preceding that and immediately following it. I don't know if those tweets were deleted by the user who wrote them or if Twitter took them down, but skipping over those. And that's something that will never come back. And one of the reasons why I got surgery, my sex drive died after about six months on HRT. And at the time I was glad to be rid of it. But now 10 years later, I'm realizing what I'm missing out on and what I won't get back. Because even if I had a sex drive, my neo-vagina is so narrow and small, I wouldn't even be able to have sex if I wanted to. And when I do use a small dilator, I have random pockets of sensation that only seem to pick up pain rather than pleasure. 
Any pleasure I do get comes from the prostate that was moved forward and wrapped in glands from the penis, meaning anal sex isn't possible and can risk further damage. Then there's the dreams. I dream often that I have both sets of genitals. In the dream, I'm distressed I have both. Why both, I think. I tell myself to wake up because I know it's just a dream, and I awaken into a living nightmare. In those moments of amnesia, as I would wake, I would reach down to my crotch area, expecting something that was there for three decades, and it's not. My heart skips a beat every single damn time. Then there's the act of going to the toilet. It takes me about 10 minutes to empty my bladder. It's extremely slow, painful, and because it dribbles, no matter how much I relax, it will then just go all over that entire area, leaving me soaked. So after cleaning myself up, I will find moments later that my underwear is wet. No matter how much I wiped, it slowly drips out for the better part of an hour. I never knew at 35, I ran the risk of smelling like piss everywhere I went. Now I get to the point where I'm detransitioned and the realization that this is permanent is catching up with me. During transition, I was obsessive and deeply unwell. I cannot believe they were allowed to do this to me even after all the red flags. I wasn't even asked if I wanted to freeze sperm or want kids. In my obsessive, deeply unwell state, they just nodded along and didn't tell me the realities, what life would be like. And finally, there's dilation which is like some sort of demonic ceremony where you impale yourself for 20 agonizing minutes to remind you of your own stupidity. This isn't even the half of it. And this isn't regret either. This is grief and anger. And he says, F everyone who allowed this to happen. Now, is it bigotry to be against this sort of future for the nation's children? When we know it's being pushed by powerful forces, it's not being pushed by the children. Children cannot figure this sort of stuff out on their own. There is no child who grows up in a, a state of nature without the effect of culture who wakes up one day thinking as a six-year-old, you know what? I'm a girl. I was born in the wrong body. And if my parents in the school don't let me be a girl immediately by taking drugs and then giving myself surgery... Well, that is just bigotry and intolerance. There's no child who's ever, ever, ever thought that. But we're teaching them to think it. And we're teaching them to think it knowing that the pharma companies are going to get $1.3 million every time one of them does. Now, we are consistently told about how bad it is for trans people to be trans. And I know that that strikes you as wrong sounding because... We are constantly told that trans people should just be honored and raised up. But the underlying logic is that people who are born in the wrong body have absolutely terrible lives until they are able to transition and then be accepted by culture and then be finally honored by culture for their bold and brave and beautiful decision. Even when their parents have made that decision instead of them or their school teachers even. But then we're also told there is trans violence. And let's leave that aside because that is such a strange claim, particularly when they're acting like white men are roving in packs looking for trans women to attack. And it's always black trans women as if white guys knowing black trans women is just some common everyday occurrence. It's not. But we're consistently told about the suicide numbers 
including after transition. And if you were mentally unstable and mentally unwell in some way, and by the way, gender dysphoria is still listed as a mental disorder. And that's how the surgeries and all the treatments continue getting funded by government. By the way, they kind of need that distinction, that mental disorder distinction, but they want to deny it in any conversation with someone who actually wants to talk about this issue holistically. But we're told the suicide numbers are extraordinary, and I can imagine they are for people who have to deal with that all the time. And now I'm not saying every trans person has that situation, not by a long shot, because I don't know. I didn't even know that situation was possible till I read this tweet thread last week. I'm not an expert on this stuff, but if that sort of thing can happen and that is a relatively common occurrence, the way this person who I would assume would know describes it. Well, that sounds like the solution to all the problems is actually creating a bigger problem for that individual, but it's not creating any problem for the pharma companies who are continuing to profit off of it or for the cultural Marxists who want to completely detach every single issue in our culture from reality altogether so that they can push through whatever they need with no interference. The global communists should really change their slogan to you will believe absolutely nothing and you will be happy. You will know nothing and you will be happy. There is no objective source of reality, no objective source of knowledge anywhere to be found. There is no God. And every experience you have in the material realm is purely subjective unless unless they have a wealth of data that shows you that your personal experience actually isn't real at all. You're an outlier. You're just in this outer 1% of people who had that problem. And for everybody else, everything is just so good. Don't you understand? And if you disagree with any of it at all, or even mention the fact that the pharma companies are going to profit for life off all these people, and maybe that has something to do with why it's being pushed so hard. Well, you're a bigot and you don't want to be called a bigot. So shut up and let the rest of society do whatever the most powerful people in the world want them to do. You will just sit there and take it. You do not get to weigh in on the situation at all because you are one of the no-no people. You are stupid, you are evil, you are violent. And because the entire point of their movement is to make sure that people like you no longer exist, people like Mika Brzezinski have absolutely no shame whatsoever in calling you a fascist and telling their audience and your fellow citizens that the only issue that matters to them and to the country is that People like you never get any power whatsoever. They don't care what you believe or why or what the basis for those beliefs are. You are a no-no person and their mission is to destroy you. But don't worry, it's not a hate movement and it can't be despite their support for Nazis. Because you see, the thing is, you're a fascist. I'll be back tomorrow. At the same reasonable time on the same reasonable podcast network. I don't have a network. Masks and lockdowns 
don't work. They lied to you about a pandemic. And Joe Biden will never be president. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. In my mind, that's the end game. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to follow what I'm reading and thinking throughout the day, you can do that by downloading the Telegram Messenger app and going to t.me slash I'm your moderator. On social media, you can follow me on Truth Social, Getter, and Gab at I'm Your Moderator. I also have channels on Rumble and BitChute. If you'd like to follow the writing, you can find me at I'm Your Moderator.substack.com. The merch site is cancelcouture.com or go direct shop.spreadshirt.com slash cancel dash couture. If you'd like to support the podcast financially, the best place to do that is Kofa. Go to ko-fi.com slash I'm your moderator. And all of these details will appear in the show notes with each episode. I'll see you soon down on the range. It's hell!